Welcome to the Gingsberg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsberg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsberg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Hi. How's it? That was nice. Thank you. Uh, as, as Ryan said, my name is Fitz. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is Chris Benj. Everyone say hi, Chris. Nothing would happen if he weren't here, so uh, let's hear it for Chris. He's making terribly, terribly awkward for him, but uh, we appreciate uh, all the things uh, that Chris does around here, including uh, lighting a fire. Uh, I know, John said, the fire's not real. That one's not. That one is. Um, Everything's fine, though. Uh, To get going here, uh, I feel I need to just set the stage. Um, I hate camping, okay? I'm just, I, I do, thank you, thank you, appreciate you. I know uh, most of you in this room are like, yeah, I knew I liked this Fitz guy, and there's like seven of you who are like, heretic, how dare you? You're a jerk face. Um, but there's, there's really almost nothing to like about camping. I mean, if God had wanted us to camp, he would not have invented houses, but he did. And so, like, you've got this perfectly good structure around you, and, and it keeps you safe and protected and warm or cool, depending. And you're like, nah, let's abandon that and go outside. That's dumb. And so I don't, I don't, like, I don't like camping uh, at all. I don't, like, I don't like being dirty. I mean, it, it, there's nothing I like about being dirty. I don't like being dirty and sticky and and gross, and really that is the dominant feeling you have when you go camping, is dirty and sticky and gross. And so I don't, I don't like that, I don't like, and you can't get clean. Like your hands are dirty, your hands are sticky, and so let's go wash them in a river, because that's gonna clean them. Uh, so I don't, I don't like that at all. I don't like bugs, I don't like bugs, whether they have like four or six or eight legs, I don't know how many, but, legs bugs have. I failed biology. But I don't like any of them. And you're like, oh, but they make stuff to, to keep the bugs away, and that stuff stinks, and it makes you more sticky. You spray it all over you. It's like, oh, I smell like chemicals now. This is super fun. Uh, and so I don't like, I don't like bugs um, at all. I like, I like a good bathroom. Anybody else like a bathroom with like running water and stuff? Uh, yeah, when you're camping, your best case scenario is like a piece of plywood with a hole cut out of it. <laughs> and your worst case scenario is just out in the woods, which that doesn't sound awesome to me. Um, and I like a good shower. I like to be able to get, to get clean. Um, and it really, bottom line is like my form of roughing it is a full-size bed instead of a queen-size bed, Uh, air conditioning that only gets down to about 65, and they're out of waffle batter. That is my form of roughing it. Uh, There is, now, all that being said, there's one piece of camping, the camping life that I like, and that's food cooked over an open fire. I like a good hot dog cooked over an open fire, but the king of all camping food is what? S'mores. I think I'm going to lose it. Let's push it back on. Okay, yeah, s'mores or just a roasted marshmallow even by itself. That is the king of all campfire foods. And there's really only one way to cook it. It's kind of like smoking meat. 
low and slow. Like you don't want to go too fast. You want to take your time. Enjoy the process. You want it to get brown on all sides, not just one side. You don't want it to get black. You want it to get lightly brown and toasted on all sides. And when it starts to puff up, that's when you know the magic is happening because the outside is nice and crispy and the inside is molten marshmallowy goodness, roughly the temperature of the surface of the sun. But it's so delicious at that point. That's the way to cook a marshmallow, really the only way to cook a marshmallow. I think I need some more time to do it, but I have other things that I'm supposed to talk about. This is, ooh, I got a little goo. Uh, let's go. <laughs> I know, you're jealous. I'm gonna put this out so we don't have any issues here. Hmm. That was good. I was um, scrolling on Instagram the other day. A friend of mine posted this. What is wrong with you people? I thought I knew you. Um, this is, contrary to the applause we just heard, atrocious. Like this is an abomination of a marshmallow. God made this perfect thing called a marshmallow and my friend destroyed it. Like clearly he stuck it right in the fire, caught it on fire because there's lots of sugar, blew it out, and then he ate it. So like the inside is still solid. It's not molten goodness at all. And the outside tastes like a charcoal briquette. Like if you want to eat a charcoal briquette, just eat a charcoal briquette. Save yourself some time. And so he, you know, he posts this. And the worst part is the caption. I don't know if you can see it. He, he wrote, the only way to eat a marshmallow. Hashtag perfection. You stop. remarkable how bad of taste you people have. Anyway, so this is, this, like, I, I, I just don't get it. Like, he probably eats his steak well done. Like, it, you know, where it's like shoe leather and you need like a gallon of water to choke the thing down. Probably, you know, washes it down with the devil's candy black licorice. <laughs> sorry, that, I'm sorry, that just struck me as really funny. Um, but, it, I mean, like, he, if he eats a marshmallow this way, he probably eats a steak that way. Like, what other horrible, horrible takes does he have? What other horrible, horrible behaviors does he have? I mean, he probably never uses his turn signal. Like, you're probably driving along, he's in the passing lane, and all of a sudden, he's in the, he's in the exit ramp, and you're like, where did you come from? No turn signal, no like, hey, I'm coming over. None of that probably answers his phone in the public bathroom. <laughs> Some of you are that person. Uh, but I, I, like, I don't get that. Like, if I call you and you're doing your thing, let it go to voicemail. I don't want to talk to you when you're doing the thing. I, just let it go. And, and that, like, speaking of doing your thing, he probably walks his dog and lets his dog do his thing, and oh no, I forgot a bag. <laughs> Leaves it in my yard. <laughs> I, bet if, I bet if you were to fly anywhere with him, and the plane gets up to the gate and goes bing, he's the first one to stand up. 
Like, where are you going? We're not going anywhere for 10 or 15 minutes till they open the door and you're just gonna stand there crowding me in the aisle. Like, I, I, like I, I didn't know my friend was this way. I didn't know he, he had all these terrible takes, these terrible behaviors. And so I did what any of you would do. I blocked him. <laughs> I blocked him. It was the only thing to do. Who don't you like? Who are the burnt marshmallows in your life? Who, who are the people who drive you nuts, who you can't see eye to eye with? We had a little, little fun at my fictional friend's expense here, but there's someone in your life or maybe a group of someones who you just don't see eye to eye with and you have a hard time liking. People who view God differently. People who vote differently. People who make different moral choices than you make. People who root for different sports teams. People who have different opinions than you have on any number of hot button topics. People who post things you don't like on Facebook and Twitter or Instagram. So what do you do with that? What do you do when you have that individual or group of individuals that, man, you just, you just have a hard time liking? What do you do with those burnt marshmallows in your life? Not just how do you act around them, because a lot of times we can act really nice, but in here, we're thinking something else. We're feeling something else. We're feeling a hard heart towards that individual. How do we respond to those people we just don't like? Well, I think the story that we're going to look at today uh, has a lot to speak into our stories today. It's, it's one you're probably uh, familiar with, uh, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Once upon a time, there was a group of people known as the Ninevites. Uh, they were called that because they were from the city of Nineveh, very creative. Uh, now, this city was one of the largest and most uh, influential and prosperous cities in the Assyrian Empire of 7th, 8th century B.C., uh, it was in a very fertile area of the Tigris River, so everything grew well there. As a result, they worshipped largely the goddess Ishtar, the fertility goddess uh, Ishtar, to make sure that that area stayed fertile. Now, when I say it was a big city, we're talking huge. Some experts suggest that it was 60 miles across at its widest section. So from here to, what, downtown Cincinnati, roughly. I didn't double-check the math, but about that about that stretch of land. That's how big this city was. Now God, in God's mercy and grace, wanted this group of people to follow him. God knew that the best life is found in following God. And so God relentlessly pursues people. God relentlessly pursues individuals and groups of people so that they will turn and recognize their need for God's love and turn to God and follow God. And some of you are here today because you experienced that. Because God relentlessly pursued you and now you're here today. So God reaches out to a prophet. Now he's not a prophet yet because nobody's just a prophet. A prophet only becomes a prophet when God chooses to speak through that individual. That's what a prophet is. Not necessarily 
future telling, but being a mouthpiece for God, speaking on God's behalf. And so he speaks to this individual named Jonah and asks him to speak for him. You know, most of you know Jonah, the whole whale thing, which we'll, we'll get into here in just a minute. So God tells Jonah, I want you to get up. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to speak out against them because like, I, I recognize what they've been getting into. I recognize the evil ways that they've been participating in. So I want you to go to them and talk to them about me. So we read that Jonah got up, which is what you want. You want a prophet when God speaks to like get up, decisive action, go. But that's not what we read. It says Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord. He got up to flee. That's not what you're looking for in a prophet. Now we read uh, the stories of other prophets where God spoke to them and said, hey, I want you to go speak for me. And there was wrestling and there was questioning and things like that. But eventually the prophet goes. And maybe you've experienced that. You're like wrestling with God, having a hard time saying yes. I know I experienced it when God said, hey, I want you to go into ministry. I'm like, you, that's a terrible choice, God. Like, you picked the wrong person. That's a terrible idea. And I wrestled with it and I fought with it. And now here I am cooking marshmallows in one of the best churches anywhere. Anyway, yeah. So no, don't, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah, clap for the church. Anyway. But this wasn't Jonah's experience. He didn't, um, he didn't wrestle with God. He didn't question God and fight with him. He went the complete opposite direction. Okay, so God told him to, uh, God told him to go to Nineveh, which as you can see, we've got a map here, is about 550 miles to the northeast. And instead of doing that, he went the completely opposite direction. He got on a boat headed for Tarshish, 2,500 miles in the other direction. We read that he went down to Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish away from the Lord. He didn't just go away from Nineveh. He went away from the Lord. Have you ever run away from the Lord? Well, that's what, that's what Jonah was doing. And, and if, you're, if you're a parent, you've probably experienced what God is experiencing at this moment. You, you tell one of your kids, hey, I want you to go do whatever. And they're like, got it. And they go over here and they do the complete opposite of what you told them to do. Anyone? Just me? I know it's not just me, right? It's almost as like those kids are going, if I misbehave over here, he'll never know. They'll never catch me. And that's what Jonah's doing. He's like, I'm gonna go in the complete opposite direction. I'm gonna run away from the Lord. Why? Why would Jonah do this? It feels to me like it would be an honor. If God were to say, hey, I want you to go to this group of people. I want you to tell them about me. I've picked you. Ah, what a great honor that would be. But Jonah didn't view it that way. Why does he respond so differently? Well, I think it's helpful to look at who the Ninevites actually were. So now we've already discussed the fact that they worship the fertility god Ishtar, which would have meant all sorts of promiscuous behavior in and around their temple area. 
But in addition to that, in the 8th century BC, thousands of Israelites were taken from their land to Assyria, of which Nineveh was the capital. Okay, this led to a period of time in Israel's history, granted because of their own disobedience, it's known as the exile. So they were forced to live away from their land. But it's worse than that. It's worse than that. It was how the people who were taken into exile were treated. Another prophet, Nahum, wrote, the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Records indicate that they were known for amputating hands and feet, gouging eyes, and skinning and impaling their captives. Like terrible, terrible individuals. It's no wonder Jonah didn't want to go to them. Fear is a strong motivator, isn't it? Fear can be a really, it's not the best motivator, but it's a, it's a strong motivator. If you're you know, out for a morning run and you come up upon a barking dog or a bear or an owl or something, I don't know, it can be scary. It could be a scary thing. And they, they say you usually have one of three responses, fight, flight, or freeze. Either you fight against whatever that is, you curl up in a ball on the sidewalk, or what do you do? You run away. And that's Jonah's response. He runs away. But we're going to discover here in just a minute that, that he may have had a different motivation. So to wrap up the story, Jonah gets on a boat going in the opposite direction. He's perfectly at ease with his disobedience. We, we read that he's actually asleep in the boat, much like Jesus is in the New Testament when the storm kicks up because there's this big storm and Jonah is found asleep in the boat. So he's perfectly content, perfectly at ease with going and running away from God. Now the men on the boat find out through a series of circumstances that it's Jonah's fault that they're in the middle of this storm, and Jonah says, the only way this is going to stop is if you throw me overboard. They're like, bet, let's go. So they toss him overboard, and that's where the whale comes in. A whale comes up out of nowhere, or a giant fish swallows him whole. He sits in the belly of that whale for three days, and after three days, spits him up on shore. And then God comes to him a second time. Isn't that good news? That God doesn't just give us one chance. So here he is covered in bile and stomach goo and fish guts and stuff. And God's like, hey, by the way, I want you to go to Nineveh. Remember that place? And we read, and Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. I mean, I know I'm, I'm not the fastest learner, but I would have gone too. Like, this makes for a great story, but like, God, okay, I got it. Fish, guts, whatever, I'm going. And so he goes. And when he does, weird thing happens. They listen to him. This group of people known for torturing, abusing, kidnapping the people of God actually listen to one of the people of God. They listen to his message. And they repent. They mourn. We read the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. Even the king repented and demanded that everybody mourn and fast because of their evil ways. Incredibly great news. People far from God have turned back to God. The people of God, the Israelites, who were called to be a blessing to the nations through, through their forefather Abraham, are now realizing that through one of their own, through Jonah, they're now a blessing to the Ninevites. This is incredible news, and Jonah's got to be pumped. But he's not. He's ticked off. The author tells us that Jonah thought this was utterly wrong and he became angry. I'm coming up on uh, about 20 years uh, in full-time ministry and uh, I've been on lots of mission trips. I've had many of serving opportunities, many events that I've been involved in, worked with countless teenagers and adults. I've had all these experiences, have I don't know how many opportunities to preach and to teach. Never once have I been angry when someone got it. What do you mean Billy wants to accept Jesus because of this event we did? Ah, oh, how terrible. Wait, Susie wants to be a missionary because of her experience on this mission trip? This is the worst day ever. Like I would never, I would never be that. I would never experience that. And yet that's where Jonah is. He's angry. Why? We read, he prayed to the Lord. Come on, Lord. Do you pray like that? Because you're allowed to. Come on, Lord. Wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love and willing not to destroy. At this point, you may as well take my life from me because it would better be better for me to die than to live. See, Jonah knew here that God was a compassionate God that God is a merciful God, that God loves those far from him. He just didn't know it here. He just didn't know it down in his spirit. He knew that if the seemingly evil group of people would repent, that God would forgive them, that God would pour out his mercy and grace and love on this group of people. And he didn't want that. He wanted them to be punished. He wanted them to experience bad things because of the bad things they had inflicted on others. Jonah wasn't a flight kind of guy. He was a fight kind of guy. He would rather fight against God than for people he didn't like to experience God's goodness and grace. And I think the thing that we need to take away today is that God was for the people that Jonah was against. God was for the people Jonah was against. Jonah was against the Ninevites. He did not want them to experience God's goodness. He did not want them to experience God's grace and love. 
But God in God's mercy and grace and love desires to pour out all of his goodness on any who desire to experience that, on any who desire to turn to him, on any who desire to have that connection to God. God is for them. And the same is true for you and me. God is for the person that you're against. God is for the person that I'm against. That burnt marshmallow in our lives, God is for that individual. God is for the person who voted differently than you. God is for the individual who looks different than you do. God is for the person who sits in a different socioeconomic standing than you do. God's for the individual who believes differently about God than you do. God is for the person who holds to a different moral code than you do. God is for the person who believes differently than you about race, religion, human sexuality, climate change, vaccines, gun control, and how well you take care of your yard. Just had to lighten it up at the end. That does not mean they're right and you're wrong. That doesn't mean you're right and they're wrong. God is for the individual. See, all of the things that we allow to divide us from others are the minority truth about us. We have more in common with everybody else than we do differences. That, that burnt marshmallow in your life, they love their life too. And they love their family. They want what's best for their family. They want what's best for their church and for their country. They want to make sure that they have the means to take care of themselves and take care of their loved ones. They want to be safe. They feel insecure sometimes. They feel lonely sometimes. They like good food. They like to laugh. And they like beauty. And they long to experience the goodness and the love of God. See, the cords of human experience that tie us together are far greater than the ones that we use to separate ourselves from other people. Friends, we need to stop seeing other people as demographics and start seeing them as God sees them as individuals that God deeply loves, that God passionately loves, that God wants to pour out on, all, on them all of his goodness and grace and love and mercy on people for whom God gave everything so that they could experience God. That's how we need to experience other people and see other people. About 800 years after this initial telling of the Jonah story, there was another storyteller he sat on a mountainside, perhaps around a campfire, telling stories and teaching. And on this particular day, he said, you've heard it said that you should love your enemies and hate, or love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But my way's different. I want you to love your enemies. If you're going to follow me, you need to pray for your enemies. Pray for those people you don't like. 
Another translation says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and bless the one who curses you. Listen to this. And do what is beautiful to the one who hates you. And pray over those who take you by force and persecute you. Isn't that lovely? Do what is beautiful to the people you don't like. To the people that you have a hard time loving. Do what is beautiful to them. Friends, that's not the Jonah way. Jonah didn't want them to experience beauty and grace and goodness, but we don't follow Jonah. We follow Jesus. And Jesus wants that person that you have a hard time liking to experience all of his goodness and grace and mercy and love. God wants them to experience beauty. And if Jesus wants that for them, Maybe we ought to want it too. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes here for a moment. And I'd invite you to get an image in your mind of that person or persons who you have a hard time liking. Maybe it's one person, a specific person. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's an ideology. Once you have that, I invite you to do something hard and pray that that person would experience beauty that they would experience goodness and love and grace. God, your word says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And what I'm asking all of us to do is really hard because in, in our heart of hearts, we don't, we don't want those people that we have a hard time liking or loving to experience beauty and goodness and grace, but that is the Jesus way. And so change our hearts. Help us to want those beautiful things for those burnt marshmallows in our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.